If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them to a couple different places. And I know uh, it might get, be easy to open up to one spot, but I'm going to challenge you to open to three. And you might even decide, well, I'm not sure I'm going to do that until I find out if it's worth opening the first one. But that's okay. Uh, I want to challenge you to open up to Luke chapter 3. Our focal passage is just a few verses today, uh, verses 15 through 20. But we're going to come back um, to an understanding of these verses. And what's going to be really helpful is if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Peter chapter 3 as well. So that's Luke chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and 2 Peter chapter 3. It just kind of worked out that way. Let me read you the context here um, to give you a flavor of what the background is. This is the, uh, uh, John the Baptist. He's out in the wilderness, and he's baptizing people who had made the decision. And this is important for today's message. They had made the decision to repent and to follow God. And John was baptizing in the water. And um, verse 10 of chapter 3 in Luke, it says this, And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? In other words, how shall they live in a life of repentance? At this point in time, Jesus hasn't come. Verse 11, he says, And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with the one who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to them, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. So these were outward works that they were to do. This is before the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so that's the context. These are individuals that had made a decision to follow God, and now they're trying to live it out. It becomes very important in the passage that follows. So let's jump in here. In today's message, the title is simply this, The Christ, Choose a Side. And you're going to understand that in just a minute. It begins, and it says this in verse 15. As the people were in expectation, so let's pause there for a moment. Uh, there are a variety of things that are happening between Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and it's kind of the last historically as well. There's a lot of things that are going on between that period of time and this period that we're reading. It's approximately 300 years or so. Uh, there were... Not many uh, prophets at that point in time. Uh, they're often called the silent years during that time in Israel. A lot of rebellion against Rome. But essentially, over uh, that period, individuals were kind of rereading and meditating on and thinking and teaching through the prophets. And this messianic or this savior idea was common throughout Israel. God was moving in an amazing way, and he's beginning to convict the people with some very specific passages regarding uh, this Messiah or Savior or Christ. For a long time, I don't know about you, I didn't grow up in church. When I read Jesus Christ, I thought Jesus was his first name and Christ was his last name. <laughs> That's what I thought. But no, it's not. Christ is a title. And so uh, the people were in expe expectation, and so... There was this period of time where they're looking for a Messiah, and it says all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. So, very simple. We don't know whether the Scripture uh, is telling us that, that God uh, moved in John's heart, 
and he had this uh, God-given um, understanding that what, the, what was going on in the hearts of the people around him, or if it's just simply a way of describing the people and their hearts. We don't know because Jesus, several times in the gospel, uh, because he was God, he was able to, to really understand what was going on in the heart of the individuals around him long before they said anything. So we're not sure there, but make no mistake, they're trying to figure out, was John the awaited Messiah or Savior or Christ? Or was it someone else? And this is John's answer. This is how he defines, and it's going to be defined further in the Gospels as you read, who is the Christ and what sort of works or what sort of deeds should we do? Um, Again, contextually speaking, John answered them all, verse 16, saying, I baptize you with water. And then here's the first aspect of the Christ. What, but he who is mightier than I is coming. So he's much greater than John. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So the very second aspect of this Christ is he is holy. He is worthy. So worthy that, that John, the individual they're coming to to be taught about God, says, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of this man's sandal. That's how great, that's how mighty he is. This is the Christ. Aspect number three, and this is where we're going to spend a great deal of time because there's some confusion on this. He, referring to this Christ, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire So this is not something that Baptists talk about very much, but I'm going to read a few verses to you as we examine who is the Holy Spirit, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and even more interesting, and fire. And let me just give you a quick clue here, a little little kind of thing to think about. The fire here applies to believers. Contextually, and in this statement, we're not talking about the lake of fire later on, but this is applying to believers, so might be surprising to you. So briefly, in the New Testament alone, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit occurs over 200 times, and we're not going to go through all those. I, I know that I have, I've covered a lot of ground in the past, the past couple of weeks with a lot of scriptures, so we're not going to cover all those verses, but I want to set this up and divide up just a general outline of the working of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit is said to inspire or dwell in apostles and prophets. So just like the Old Testament, you would think the Holy Spirit inspires individuals. And they inspired, or the Holy Spirit inspired the individuals who wrote the Bible. So when we say this is the Word of God, it's a faith claim, a faith statement saying we believe that the individuals who wrote this were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that was very common during their day regarding the Old Testament, which is a part of our Bible. But we're more interested for our studies in the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, in Acts chapter 1, verses 5, 8, and in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 3, it says this, regarding First and foremost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that John is speaking of here. Or at least, and this is going to become important, the first initial fulfillment of this. 
And this is what we were talking about a few weeks ago with prophecy. Most people don't understand how prophecy works, but oftentimes it has multiple fulfillments. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, For John, this is Jesus speaking, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this is Jesus affirming what John had said. During his ministry, Jesus was here on earth, but the Holy Spirit was just moving on certain individuals just as it did or he did in the Old Testament. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, but this is Jesus once again describing what will happen. He says, regarding this baptism, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this baptism appears to, at least in part, be about the Holy Spirit coming upon an individual and empowering them to be witnesses throughout the world. So that's at least part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we read this fulfillment in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 3, and it actually brings together two aspects of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire as well, at least initially. We're going to see how this is developed in the New Testament. But in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, this is after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of as of fire, not fire, but as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So we have this unique manifestation of the Holy Spirit in, what some, in something that looked like fire or tongues of fire dwelling among the apostles. We never read of this again any other place in the New Testament. And so this could be the way the Holy Spirit works in all of our lives, but it doesn't appear to be that way. It seems to be uniquely uh, identifying the apostles as individuals who are empowered with this message of the gospel before it spreads out. So how do we really look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit for the rest of the New Testament to give us a better understanding of today's verse? And, and here's an important thing regarding today's life. Is let's just pause here a second. The individuals who had come to repent to be baptized by John, wanted to know how are they to live, essentially. How are they to live for God? And yes, there's this outward works that John told them about that, quite frankly, anyone could do. But today, as we're sitting here in, in Baker City, in Blue Mountain Baptist Church, those of us who have claimed to trust in the Lord, how are we to live? What sort of life are we to be living? And how does the Holy Spirit involved in that? Or is He? Huge questions. Because it can be really easy to all of a sudden place your faith, a great decision in God, but then become religious and just attend church, attend Bible, study, attend Bible studies, give to the Lord financially, go on mission trips. It can be really, really easy to slip into this idea of legalism rather than really thinking about what does God want from me? All of that that I just mentioned is good, but is it transformational? Am I any different? And you're going to understand, I believe, 
that this baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire regards not just those outward works, but inner works. But let's read. Regarding the work of the Holy Spirit, if you're in here today and you have never known God, or even if you're in here today and you've trusted in God, this is an aspect that is common that we, I believe, should see today and do see today. This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. He says, and when he comes, referring to the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Those three areas. So whether, whether you're a born-again believer or someone here that doesn't know God, if you, as you're living your life and you're making decisions, whether you're trying to live for God or live someone else, for, for yourself or someone else, the Holy Spirit convicts regarding sin, righteousness, what is sinful, what is good and pleasing and honorable to God, and then final judgment. And you're going to see this in the example that John gives regarding specifically explaining the baptism and Holy Spirit and fire in this passage. But that's one of the key roles that the Holy Spirit plays in our life even today. Conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Very, very serious. Is the Holy Spirit doing that in your life? And are you obeying? Are you taking that conviction and acting upon it? Or are you living in rebellion? Well, regarding salvation, perhaps the the clearest picture of what the Holy Spirit does in our life at the time in which we trust in Jesus is recorded in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. It says this, He saved us not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible describes this amazing spiritual event that occurs in our life when we trust in Jesus. He describes it as a washing and a renewal by the Holy Spirit in our life. One of the, the, the key realities of salvation. If you're here today and you think that you can earn your salvation, you are wrong because there's no amount of work that you can do to affect that spiritual reality. That is something that God and God alone does. Then what about post-salvation? Or even other aspects of salvation. Ephesians 1.13 says this, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So it's a very simple order here. Part of the work of God is not just the Holy Spirit, but it's the gospel, the message of salvation. You hear, the Holy Spirit convicts sin, righteousness, and judgment, but he says in Ephesians 1.13, you heard the word of truth, the gospel, you believed, you responded, and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. After you believe, you're sealed. It's this amazing reality that we are sealed. The Holy Spirit dwells in believers, all believers today, not just a few, 
like in the Bible. So one last aspect, post-salvation, the Holy Spirit in our lives once we are saved. Yes, the Holy Spirit still convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But in Romans chapter 14 and 15, it says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and, and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. There's this really interesting aspect that we miss, especially Southern Baptists of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As Southern Baptists, we want you out there evangelizing, right? We want you going door to door, whatever it takes. But it's not just the message, it is the messenger. This relationship that God gives us in Christ through the Holy Spirit that gives us joy and peace and power and hope. That is not religion. That is relationship. And if you've missed that, if you're here today and and you're just trying to live a good life, thank you. But I want you to know today that you can have a life of joy. Not just trying to live a good life of religion, but of joy and peace in believing as you grow deeper in Christ. This is the work that Jesus says we are to do, to believe in Him. It's a deeper belief. So that's a general, really general overview of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. But specifically, how does Dr. Luke, as he shares this story with us, what does the Bible, this particular verse, describe In that moment in time, the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, he uses an illustration. Verse 17, John chapter 3. says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, referring to Christ, to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's break that down very specifically here. First of all, this is an image, a common image throughout the Old Testament. Anyone here ever raise wheat, grow wheat? Finally, some of you have no relationship. You guys know about cows and pigs and chickens and all kinds of stuff. I'm really impressed with you, but none of you have grown wheat. Well, my grandfather, uh, who I love dearly, has gone to be with the Lord. He was in eastern Colorado, and he was a wheat farmer. And I hated going to visit him, especially during the harvest, because it was hot, nasty, and a lot of work. Now, he had huge machines doing his work, but in the old days, here's the picture. You would go out and you would cut down the wheat and you would bring it back to a place called a threshing floor. It was normally a round circle for a variety of reasons, and you would take a variety of instruments and try to separate the wheat, which was good, from the chaff. And the chaff was what was around the wheat. It was the outer covering of the wheat. This is important because in the Bible, there are multiple examples of talking about fields of of harvest, and it utilizes weeds, not the chaff, but weeds as unbelievers. In this illustration, we're talking about the wheat and what's covering it up, what's around it. Think about this. 
When someone looks at you, do they see your soul? Do they see your heart? They see who you are. They see the outward part of you. They hear your speech. They watch your actions. Just in Genesis, as originally Adam was designed to, in the image of his glory, that's the picture. The outward parts, when we trust in Jesus, we are to be transformed, we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. So he works on the hearts, and we begin this process of sanctification, being changed to be like Christ. So it's, it's this development, this sanctification, this changing. And so the imagery here is this. They're taking what they know to be good, the wheat, and they're throwing it on the floor, and they're sifting it. They're getting rid of the outside of that. And, the old, and this is what's very interesting. This picture that John uses is not like the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, what you do is you take the fork, you take the winning fork, and you toss the wheat in the air, and the chaff, with a little slight breeze, blows away. And what you're left with is the good wheat that you take into the barn. Anyone here ever have to start a fire out in the woods to, to stay warm? Show of hands. Would you like fire starter to be chaff? No. <laughs> if you've ever tried to start a fire of chaff, it's very, very hard. So in the Old Testament, the imagery is the wind just blows it away. But in the New Testament, we have a difference in this image. It's the chaff is burned up with unquenchable fire. So let's look at this a little closer. So his winnowing fork, this is Jesus. What is the winnowing fork? I believe the winnowing fork in this illustration is the Holy Spirit. And what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? To clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. It's this picture of the Holy Spirit at work, convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment, of working in believers' lives. And at some point, and by the way, a lot of times when you're tossing the wheat in the air and the chaff falls to the ground or is blown away, it doesn't work. It's on there tightly. So what you would have to do on the threshing floor is you'd have to beat the living tar out of it. You're sitting there smacking it and smacking it and smacking it trying to get that chaff off the wheat. Again, I, I see that as and I could be wrong, as the imagery of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment, just working us over in our heart going, you know what? I really shouldn't be participating in this sin. And that's hard to talk about in church. In fact, it's hard to talk about even with spouses and children. How often do you have sin conversations? It's tough. Really tough. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit, maybe he's, he's working and convicting in your heart right now. What you ought to be doing, the works you should be doing, and the work that you shouldn't be doing. Well, it's to clear the threshing floor. Notice this. It's apparently at the end of harvest after everything is grown. It's an end-time perspective. Not only that, but there is so much chaff that fire is necessary to get rid of it. In other words, it's not just a, a judgment once in a while, but this is imagery at the very end of all of this that is about to take place. The chaff is built up. 
yeah, it would be terrible material to try to start a fire with or to burn, but you have enough of it, works really well. The chaff will be burned in unquenchable fire. What in the world is it talking about? This is where you need to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 and 15. I hear some of you turning, so maybe you're interested, like, oh, if this applies to me and not just unbelievers, this whole fire thing, maybe I should check this out. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15 says this, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So our Faith is founded on Jesus Christ, not our works. Let's be really clear about that. But after this salvation, verse 12, it says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we have this picture of this foundation, this salvation. But fire is coming, and it's not going to be for the believer, but it's going to be for that outward aspect, those works, what people recognize you as. Are you growing in the Lord, or are you just growing in religion? Second Peter chapter 3 takes it a little bit further. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Let's be honest here. Just pause. It's Monday morning. What are you going to do? Your to-do list. Get up, get the kids ready for school, get them taken care of, eat breakfast, and you go to work. And you just grind it out. Maybe you love your work. Maybe you hate your work. You go to work. You get lunch. You go back to work. You get home. You fix dinner. You pick up kids at school. If you decide, you know, you're kind of not really feeling it, you leave the kids at school. And... So you eat dinner, and then you do your chores that night, you get them ready for bed, and then you just go, go to sleep, maybe do some house projects, get on social media, whatever, and, and your life looks fairly similar every day. And the best sometimes people hope for is just that they kind of have a good day, that nothing really bad happens. And if that's the case, they call it a good day. How many people live like that? Lots of us. It's really easy to slip into that. But the whole point of salvation isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's to grow in relationship with God. And there is a very specific way in which you do that, and it begins with intention. You have to intentionally want to know God through prayer, through denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Him. Through setting aside your dreams, your desires, and wanting to know Him personally and follow what He desires, His will in your life. 
and you grow deeper, just as your kids, right? You want your kids to grow up and be successful, but more importantly than anything else, you want them to love you, to have a relationship with you. Same with God the Father. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 14, we say this, or see this. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. This isn't unbelievers, towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all that should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." So there's this destruction, there's this imagery that Peter reveals through the Holy Spirit that at the very end of time, just as there was a creation, there will be a destruction and a recreation. And there in, during this judgment, everything that you see will be burned up. But notice he gets to this point of works. Works. Verse 11. These works are exposed. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him. Working at Walmart? Ranching? Even preaching? No. Be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So John is preaching. They ask what sort of works he ought to be, they ought to be doing. He gives the very simple outward works. And then he describes who the Christ is, who he's not, John himself is not worthy to untie his sandals. And at that point, he describes this Holy Spirit will baptize people, uh, or the Christ will baptize individuals with the Holy Spirit and fire. What does that mean? It's this idea that the Holy Spirit is now at work giving them the opportunity to change, to be sanctified, to be holy and righteous. Not because of anything we've done, but because we've been set free from the power of sin and death. But we are to live with this in mind, right? That our lives, wherever you're at in life, however old you are, at some point, unless Jesus returns, you're going to die. And at that point, our works will be evaluated. Either at that point, some believe, or at the final judgment, more likely, as we just saw. Will your works be burned up? I don't know about you, but uh, I'm sitting there on the treadmill, and I hate running on the treadmill, by the way. I'll confess that right now. 
at the Y. For whatever reason, the most popular shows on TV in the morning when I'm running on the treadmill that the channel's set on, the do-it-yourself flipping houses shows. There must be a hundred of them, right? They spend all this time and money and worrying flipping houses, right? Trying to make money and getting the perfect house. Just simply ask you this. Will that be burned up? Will your perfect house and all the, the decorations that you've been investing in, will that be burned up? Will your college diploma be burned up? Just think to yourself today, just about this past week, let's not try to get really deep, just this past week, you're doing some good stuff, I know it, I mean, so many of you are blessing me, uh, I've seen your, your works in ministry, but about you, your heart, are you any different? The work that you put in this last week, will it be burned up or will it have eternal value? Righteousness, peace in the Lord, joy. Are you being conformed? Are you any different? Will Jesus someday be standing there saying, well done, my good and faithful servant? I know very few people who on their day planner says, be more righteous this week. <laughs> Goal number one, whether it's go to the grocery store, make my husband pick up his clothes. Right? But that's the challenge. Here's this incredible scene out in the wilderness. You got this wild, crazy guy seemingly in this 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 robe and he's eating locusts and his name's John he's yelling at people to repent yet people are coming to him and he's describing this eternal reality and here's the the amazing decision that he has to make it's easy to talk about this but when you're really trying to live for Jesus rather than just get a house and retire early when you're trying to live for Jesus, you make certain decisions. And you might have to make some difficult decisions this week. Verses 18 through 20 read this, read like this. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. And this is the cool thing. Everything that we just described was good news. Why was it good news? Simple illustration that I just used. If you've ever done a house remodel, feels really good the first day. The second day that you're done, you begin to see all the stuff that you didn't quite get right. A couple years go by, and you're frustrated because all that work put in and all your remodel, it's all outdated now. All the house flipping shows are doing something different. And you're like, wow, got to do it again. The good news is all the work in Christ that lasts for eternity, it never becomes outdated. You're now free. You can, you, you can have a joy and a peace that the world can't have with the Holy Spirit who baptizes you, who dwells in you, who seals you, who convicts you, who encourages you, who brings you joy and peace. That is good news that's available today to you right now. 
Well, he preached this good news, but he didn't stop with this message of eternal judgment and works. Verse 19 describes one of the Herods. It says, But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, in other words, John had reproved the guy in charge, one of them. He gets very specific here. What, what did he do? It says, his brother's wife. Well, Herod the Tetrarch had taken his brother's wife and has now engaged in extramarital sex with his brother's wife. You could be John and say nothing about that. Could have happened very easily. But John didn't shut up. He called sin, sin, no matter who they were. He called it out. And I got to tell you, this is hard. I've seen marriages destroyed because people were unable to have sin conversations. Because a lot of times, when you have sin conversations, it's not received well. And Herod didn't receive it well. Because not only had the sin conversation occurred here with Herodias, it says this in the second half of verse 19, and John had said this, and for all the evil things that Herod had done. Verse 20, Herod apparently added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. The good news would eventually cost John the Baptist his life. But here's the amazing thing. From the very day John the Baptist was born, he had been dedicated and had given his life already to Jesus. I don't know about you, but as I'm kind of evaluating the landscape of ministry and jobs, eating locusts, being dressed in a cloak of camel hair, wandering around and living in the wilderness, yelling at people to repent. That's not number one on my goals and dreams for this life. But John had made that decision early on. And so when the tough times came, he had been walking with God closely. Jesus calls him the greatest man to ever live. He didn't shrink back from calling sin, sin. Because he had an eternal perspective. Remember, John was one of the few individuals at that time that the Holy Spirit was dwelling in. This amazing picture of the good news being good news, even with the component of final judgment of our sins, in our life, in our work, being willing to die for it. Radically different than religion. It's a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit living this incredible life. I offer that to you today as we close in prayer. Whatever life you're living, I bet it looks pretty good on the outside. But will it stand the test of fire in the end? I hope it does. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much that every day is new with you. That we can have this beautiful relationship with you. Help us to simply acknowledge it, to seek it, to desire it, to not come to you in fear because we no longer have to fear, but to come to you with just joy of wanting to live no longer for the stuff of this world that consumes us so easily. Uh, Help us to just rejoice in who you are in a deep and abiding relationship. And as we do that, transform us. Help us to reflect your glory, your goodness, your mercy. Help us to be honest with the sins in our life, the works that maybe are consuming us that are not eternal. And to, to do what we have to do, we, we do have to live in this life and work and raise kids and all those things, but help us to do it with a heart towards eternity and above all else towards love in you. Amen.